raise a couple more to the revolution. We have only three words for you. Uh-oh. We're taking over. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another edition of the Q Zero Theater Cast. This is your host, Artistic Director Dan Pelletier. I want to thank everybody for their wonderful feedback on our last couple of episodes. I hope you've been taking away from them as much as we'd hoped, uh, you know, getting to learn just a little bit more about all the different sorts of people that work in the theater and just what it takes to get the job done there, as well as some incredible, insightful information that should help our fellow performers and theater people uh, so we can all collaborate together and create an even stronger art scene. In today's interview, I discuss healthy practices in the arts with a local performer, voice teacher, and health and lifestyle coach, Katie Gall. She's from the Seacoast area here in New Hampshire, currently living in Dover, doing a lot of work in the greater Portsmouth theater scene. I don't want to ramble on too much. I'll let the interview speak for itself so Katie can tell you all about herself. And then you can learn all about, you know, just what are the rigors of being a performer, both professionally and recreationally, as well as things you could be doing to improve your physical and mental well-being as an artist. So I'm going to throw it back to my past self and hope you enjoy this interview on health in the arts. Thank you for joining us for this interview. If you could maybe start off by telling our audience who you are and what you do, that'd be a great place to kick things off. I am Katie Gall, and uh, my business is called Keeping It Real with Katie Gall. I'm a voice teacher and a health and lifestyle coach for performers. Could you elaborate a little bit more maybe into like what that is? um you know involves and what the heck that means yeah what are the some of the different things that you do i mean you know i I think from the from the description we can get a little bit of a sense but you know let's uh let's go into a little bit of you know detail sure sure yeah yeah yeah. so voice teacher most people understand that part of it i teach people how to sing my specialties are in musical theater and classical but i work with all types of genres and then as a health and lifestyle coach my goal for performers is for them to be healthy balanced people i find that a lot of performers sort of live breathe and eat theater and (laughs) There's a lot of other pieces to life that make it really awesome that I try to help performers find so that they are living a more balanced lifestyle so that they're getting like the types of food they need, the types of movement they need, but also just the types of interactions they need. And so that they're taking care of themselves on a more um, human level and not just as performers all the time, which of course makes them better performers. Right. No, that definitely sounds uh, very important. I know I I myself have finally started uh, paying much more attention to my nutrition this past month um, and have started a new diet plan and trying to get back on my exercise regimen, something that fell off with the pandemic. But uh, now, especially now that I'm uh, on um, the COVID shutdown, I... um, my day job is I run the office for a wedding entertainment company, but there ain't no weddings this summer, so I don't really have office hours anymore, so I've been stuck at home and 
collecting those uh, unemployment checks for a little bit. So uh, I guess I have no excuse to start exercising again. So Katie, how did you get into this line of work? I went to New York University for my bachelor's degree in vocal performance, and I decided to continue on at NYU for my master's degree in vocal pedagogy and vocal performance, partially because they offered that vocal pedagogy half. So I could uh, get trained to actually be a voice teacher, as opposed to a lot of performers who are singers and who are very, very good singers and performers, but they're really knowledgeable about what they can do and what their voices do. And they're not necessarily great at what the voice does. Right. So that was thing one. And you look like you have a question. No, I was just going to kind of comment. I mean, I'm like a big sports fan. And when you I actually was just finishing watching all the Michael Jordan documentaries and they talk about that, like the best the best players usually make the worst coaches because they can't explain how they do what they do. Yes, that's a great example. That's a great example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're when you're a really, really high level performer, you just do the thing. <laughs> right. You just do the thing. So uh, one of the things that my teacher um, said back in the day is you don't want to go to Barbara Streisand for voice lessons. You want to go to Barbara Streisand's teacher for voice right. lessons. You want to figure out who she studied with. Right. And so, um, I started there. Um, now I was at NYU, as I mentioned in New York city, living the young 20 something lifestyle, which is not usually the healthiest lifestyle. <laughs> so, um, so I ended up with my own health issues. I was very overweight at the time. And uh, there was a series of other things that happened um, that led me to realize that I really needed to get myself in order. Um, and a friend of mine who is, well, was an accompanist there at a the time is now like a, an up and coming composer in the opera world, which is really cool. <laughs> uh, he connected me with um, Farah Alvin, who is, uh, she's a Broadway performer. She's also a health coach. Um, and I started working with her to get, to get all those little pieces in order, you know, not just focusing on like putting X number of calories into your body and like making sure that you're getting X number out through exercise, but, but how do you make sure you get the right types of food and what types of foods are missing to uh, fill in those gaps and what's getting in your way of actually doing those things that you need to do and how do we address those as well? Um, so I loved working with her. Uh, while I was working her with her, I started, uh, I, I ended grad school. I had started teaching. I was teaching crazy amounts of hours which was money, so yay, but not not sanity. Um, and eventually I realized, uh, like, no, I kind of need to go into this whole hog. And I then decided to go to the same school that she went to, the Institute of Integrative Nutrition, and to get certified as an actual health coach. Despite what a lot of people might think, performers are people. I mean, you know, when you go to Disney World, sometimes it is difficult to tell the difference between the newer animatrons and, and the un underpaid college kids. Um, but, like, is there a significant difference into how you approach 
uh, your you know body health, nutrition type things specifically for a performer versus uh, you know your everyday average person that might be you know just working a nine to five and not on stage. Two main things come to mind. Number one, most performers have that normal nine to five also, and then. They don't they don't just like go home and start watching TV most of the time. They have maybe an hour in between when they get off of work and have to go to their next rehearsal, maybe two sometimes. And then they're at rehearsal all night. And so you have this really unique challenge of most food and fitness programs are trying to get you to just like just push play or just drink this shake or just da 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 da. And performers were going from like whenever you get up in the morning, seven in the morning until nine, 10, 11, 12 at night, we can't just survive on shakes. <laughs> you know, we need actual nutrition. Um, and we can't just push play. Like we have all the time in the world to exercise. It needs to be a little bit more focused and it needs to be a little more creative the way that we think about taking care of our bodies a lot of the time. So the other thing that I would say, our emotions are a big, big, big part of how we do things in the world. Most people, most non-performers, run away from things that feel uncomfortable. <laughs> they, you know, there's, there's the, there's, there certainly are the people in the world who, who have, who have a good, safe way of handling their emotions, and they're totally balanced. But performers are very much trained to run towards their emotions. Like that's how you get good performances on stage is by being willing to live in really crap feelings a lot of the time. And so those can get very tied up in a person's, uh, the, the way that they view themselves as a whole, the way that they interact in the world, and thus the way that they take care of themselves. I mean, think about it. If you're, uh, if you're a Tracy from Hairspray, if that's kind of your type, why would you try to exercise and eat right necessarily? Because you might be typed out suddenly of the things that you do so well, you know? And so it's, it's a, it's when it comes, when we start talking about things like type and, and, and how your emotional life on stage affects your emotional life in real life, it's a whole other ball game than what most people are trying to do. You know, I, I like your Tracy example there because I think, and I'm, you know, I'm assuming here that there is like a way to maintain a bigger frame, but on a healthier scale. Um, you know, my favorite um, type of theater is actually professional wrestling, um, and and I'm always amazed that they do have, um, you know, some more heavy set workers that still have incredible cardio in physical fitness. They've just, you know, learned to carry themselves i mean yes that sometimes they you know can reach a point where they've put on you know some extra pounds and it's affecting them but you've got 300 pounders but they can move like they're 150 pounds is that is that something that you can work with like you know finding um you know maybe not necessarily what a lot of people would be like oh you don't you know having a fitness under uh you know a uh body type like that absolutely absolutely so my um my specific focus with someone like that, just to give the example, would be uh, to focus a little bit more on what foods you're putting in your body. How are you fueling your body so that 
you can be going uh, energy-wise for for all that time so that you can make it through a dance show. And then to hook you up with someone who can actually physically train you in the right way would be my goal. Um, because, because, yes, there are absolutely big people in the world who do really cool things with their bodies who can who can uh like uh, run marathon you know i was training for half marathons for a while there and there were significantly bigger people going faster than me <laughs> i was gonna say i think our broadway fans if you've ever seen james monroe Engelhart dance and he's mm-hmm. on the bigger side but that guy can move in ways that you know even some of the most you know, tiny little gymnasts, I don't think could handle it. And he yeah. has the endurance and the, the, the uh, physical capability. Yeah, 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 exactly. You have to, you have to be able to keep going. That is not a weight requirement though. <laughs> like that right. doesn't mean you have to be X number of pounds. And so what I, what I say to anyone coming into my program, if you, if you do want to lose weight, that's a fine goal. There's nothing wrong with that, obviously. But you can still work on your health without doing that if you don't need to, you know? Let's talk a little bit more about specifically, uh, you know, health and lifestyle things for performers. What sort of, um, you know, what what would you say is like the biggest issue besides, um, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, the mental grind and always being on the go. But like, are there any other things that you see? Um, that crop up specifically that you would say a performer deals with that, um, you know, a non-performer wouldn't have. Boundaries are, is, is like the first thing that comes to my mind. Um, and I don't necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily say, actually, I absolutely wouldn't say that nobody else who's not a performer doesn't deal with boundary issues, but performers, I remember being told in school that I just had to say yes to things for a long mm. time. And, and and we all know that performers are frequently um, like offered roles and opportunities, quote unquote, that, uh, oh, okay, what are you gonna pay me? Oh, exposure, great, that's fantastic, <laughs> you know? So yes, of course I'll put in an extra 20 hours of work a week for exposure, that sounds great. Performers really get trained to be yes men a lot mm. of the time. Um, and from especially from a young age, you know, my my teens that I work with, I see this a lot. They have a they try to please everyone. They have a really hard time differentiating between what certain roles, what certain theater professions should be saying versus what they shouldn't. Mm. Um, for example, if a director is giving vocal technique, you kind of need to shut that brain off. That that part <laughs> of your brain off. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, um, no, I get you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I think I think boundaries are a big thing that I I end up talking with a lot of people about about like what is yours to take care of versus what is someone else's to take care of. I I completely agree. And uh, if you'll go back a couple of our episodes, I actually did a review of a new book on theatrical intimacy. It's called Staging Sex. Um, It's a, yeah, fantastic. I am so glad I I, uh, purchased it. I was actually, I spent most of today doing my prep work for our upcoming auditions for Heather's the Musical. Um, And like one of the first things that was in the book that I loved is it actually talks about how to list different things like 
a role requires intimacy or a role requires nudity on an audition form. And then it goes into rehearsal techniques to get the actors out of that mindset of always saying yes, of letting them know it's okay to say you're uncomfortable and then working to find ways to make sure everybody remains comfortable. Yes, 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 yes. And even, even on stage and off, like being willing to, being willing to say to directors, like, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't be a rehearsal past nine o'clock at night because and this is the thing that I've dealt with personally, cause I'm a mom. I can't be a rehearsal past nine or 10 at night because my, uh, six month old keeps waking me up. And if you want me to be able to be at rehearsal the night after, <laughs> I need right. to go home and sleep. I can't remember if we talked you so were you originally from the New Hampshire area or like how did you end up back here from uh from New York totally yeah yeah I grew up in Portsmouth actually um and my husband grew up in Nashua so he grew up doing stuff at Peacock Players I grew up doing stuff at Prescott Park and Seacoast Rat um and uh we never we did not meet until we were in New York <laughs> actually and then um when we were tired of being there, that's a, that's another boundaries thing. New York is not for everyone. You don't have to be there. Mm-hmm. Any side note. <laughs> yeah, I I love vacationing there. I would never. I don't think I could work in in New York. <laughs> oh, it's it's tiring eventually. It's yeah. just you know on the subway. I knew I was going to be angry at least two times a day when I had to get on it mm. to uh, like go to work, and then when I had to get on it again to go home. So I was like, why why am I planning my anger? Um, <laughs> It seems unhealthy. <laughs> so when uh, we when we were gonna get married and all that jazz, we knew that we wanted to have a family and we wanted to have a house and we wanted to have dogs and we were like, why the heck are we here if we want all of these things? Um, and so we moved back. Uh, the original intention was to Portsmouth, but that's crazy expensive. Um, and so we, so we ended up back in Dover, um, so that I could be around a nice thriving theater community. We're close to his parents. We're close to my parents. It's great. It's awesome. And there's uh, treats. So let's talk a little bit more about, um, voice training and, and vocal work like that. Um, I mean, I mean, I'd like to definitely start kind of, you know, talking about, um, you know, technique and training things for singers, but then I'd even like to delve into if we could, you know, just, uh, any technique work that you have or recommend for non-singers as far as like projecting and things. I definitely think that that's a hugely lost art. Um, I know, you know, even, even in some of the more intimate spaces in the area, um, especially again, I also work with teens a lot and they, no matter how many times you, you, uh, tell them, you know, and you're working on projection things that they still have those, uh, issues even for, you know, straight plays. So like, um, you know, what's, uh, what, what is like a training regiment like as far as like, you know, working on your voice for performance, um, and then building off of that, what would you say is like, what do you recommend as like a minimal training that anyone that wants to, uh, work in theater at any level would be? Let me tackle singing first, because that's predominantly what I deal with. Yeah, no problem. Um, I would, here's what I always tell my students. I would love to see you in my studio once a week for an hour, every time. Um, I would then love for you to also be practicing for at least a half an hour, three to four other times throughout the week. 
it's a muscle. It's well, it's a set of muscles, but, but it's 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 muscular. What we're dealing with is acoustics. We're dealing with physics, and we're dealing with anatomy. We're not dealing with some amorphous talent machine in your throat. We're dealing with very real physical structures. And so, the more you work those structures, the better they will become. I the way that I set up my lessons, the first half is warming up. The second half, and and within those warm ups, working on technique specifically. The second half is applying the work that we did in the warm-ups and the techniques to music. Because at the end of the day, warm-ups are great and they're going to do fantastic things for your voice, but no audience member wants to hear them. <laughs> um, and so, uh, uh, so my focus for the voice is bringing it forward, bringing placement forward. And what's really tricky, and this applies for any sort of projection is that our aesthetic, the sound that we've gotten really used to hearing and that we sort of like hearing is a larger, farther back sound a lot of the time. And so that's a lot of the, that's a lot of the uh, challenge that performers face a lot of the time is that they're, you know, when whether it's speech or singing, they're being told, make a big sound, but I can't hear you. And those things don't necessarily go hand in hand for most singers. Bringing the voice forward also applies for speech. It's the reason why I personally am very easily heard in a large theater without trying very hard because I've trained that a lot and other actors aren't necessarily because they haven't trained in that way. They haven't trained to bring the voice forward. And there's a lot of tools and a lot of warm-ups that I use to help a performer do that. But ultimately my goal at the end of the day for any of my performers is for them to walk away, not needing me as much, hmm. you know, for them to be able to start to really feel what that is and, uh, and be able to start doing it for themselves much more consistently. Great philosophy to have that, you know, you want to build that technique that they can, take away you know one of our last interviews that we did was actually you know i interviewed a pair of music directors in the area and we had a little bit of a discussion um more off the air than on the air about like examples of good singers and bad singers that you can just like identify do you have any um like do you have a similar type thing that like you know there's certain popular acts that you, you see that are like good examples and then ones that you hate when your students come in imitating like for me i've heard um, from a number of different music directors that if you've got that, like, uh, if you're trying to imitate that original Adele sound, you're going to destroy your voice. Um, and she, and, you know, and I know that she actually did and had, she actually had to go and, uh, retrain her voice because she was constantly having vocal injuries. Um, so is that something you see? And like, what do you do to combat that? Oh, <laughs> I see. Yes. I touched the nerve. Yes. Um, okay. So this is where we really have to talk about, there's a difference between good technique and preferred aesthetic of our times. Mm. Um, because Adele, I love Adele's material. Like I love her songs. I love her style. I, I love everything about her. And I am a hundred percent not surprised that she has had multiple vocal bolt surgeries because she's hurt herself that badly, you know? Um, no one should be trying to mimic that or emulate that or be that. 
Mm. Um, another good example, and and I know that this may touch a nerve for some people, but is um, Idina Menzel. Mm. I love a lot of what she does. I like I like her as a performer. Um, I actually saw her in uh, in Wicked back way back in the day when I was you know a million years younger, um, and and she was great. She's fantastic. Um, Kristen Chenoweth, much better technique, much mm. better technique. Interesting. Uh, Audra McDonald, much better technique. Now, are these things that you can just identify from listening to them, or do you actually have to like see them perform? Like, how can you just see the or you know identify the technique? Part of it certainly is longevity. Like, I have seen Idina Menzel crash and burn a whole lot more than I've seen Kristen Chenoweth crash and burn, <laughs> and like, and and there's there's a whole host of reasons why that might happen. You know, from uh, from it was just a crap day to, oh shoot, I signed this contract and I have to perform, but I came down with a cold and everyone's going to be pissed at me. Like that's the yes man syndrome right there. Right. Mm. Um, so there's a whole host of reasons why that could happen, but underneath that is a lack of boundaries and probably not proper technique. The way that I describe my training program is I literally spent two years learning how to listen, right? Like learning what to listen for. Um, and so I t very much tune into the harmonics of the voice, which are all of the, not just what you take for, for the baseline sound that the voice makes, but all of the other little pitches in there and all of the other little pieces of timbre um, that I'm able to pick out at this point. Um, unfortunately, and this is a balance that I consistently have to strike, a person's healthiest sound might not be the aesthetic of the time. Mm. You know, it's something that a lot of young, uh, a lot of young singers whose voices are really, really great for classical music have a hard time with for, uh, for quite a while. And it doesn't, it, it certainly doesn't mean they can't learn to do something else. I help people do it all the time, but you have to come to terms with what does your voice do best first and then move on from there. I feel like yeah. I just went on a total tangent. Sorry. No, that's fine. It was all, it was all great things and a lot of relatable things. I know like myself, I am definitely a classical baritone who really wants to be in rock musicals. And those are uh, <laughs> incompatible objectives. A lot of times there aren't a lot of, uh, right. bassy parts in your more modern, uh, rocky musical type things. That's a great point, is that like in modern musical theater, it's meant for screamy skelter belters for women, and then these weird super tenors who can hit like C's over and over and over and over and over again, and yeah. you're like, calm down, guys. Yeah, I, I, I just remember how, uh, you know, last summer we did Next to Normal, and just how much of those music rehearsals were like, you know, 50% teaching the music, 50% don't injure yourself. And that was just a very exhausting tech week for everybody, especially in the vocal department. And then even going further back a few summers ago, I did a teen production of Footloose and the part for Ren McCormick is just, I, I can't, yeah, I'm like, where, I'm like, where are you supposed to find an actual human that can sing this as written? <laughs> and like, and especially, you know, and I'm working with like teenagers who, you know, you would think would have a little bit of the higher voice and the notes would come, but no, like it was just 
you know, our actor sounded fine, but like there are definitely parts of his songs that I'm just, and that shows 20 years old at this point. I think it's even gone so much further that that direction. But that's, that's a great, that's kind of a great point to bring up with men's voices specifically. I do, I do like, I have a little soft spot for all of my baritones and my basses because it's hard for them to get cast right now a lot of the time because the, <laughs> the, the shows that people want to do, I would love, like, let's bring back a carousel and an Oklahoma just because there's these gorgeous, gorgeous voices that don't know that they are gorgeous. They don't yeah. know that they're like actually good because they keep trying to sing tenor material that their voice just doesn't want to do that. We've talked on the podcast before about what I call director brain. And you can, and, and it's this thing that uh, 95% of the time I can't shut it off. And it drives me mad because I'll be watching a show. And unless this show is perfect and flawless my director brain just wants to focus on the things i would fix if i was directing this show do you have a similar thing and it does it how does that re re uh, wreck your mental health um how does that wreck my mental health well i will say it, i i have worked over the over the years to be able not not to shut it off necessarily but to put it in its place like if i'm going to see a show um especially if I'm going to see a show with students in it, I'm not there to be the, your voice teacher. I'm there to support you. I'm there to uh, watch you do your magic on stage. I do, There, there's always that little voice in the back of my head, kind of no matter who I'm listening to, unless again, like you said, it's pretty much a perfect, uh, a, a perfect performance. Um, but I will say, I'm, I don't, I don't listen to much music. Like I don't, I don't find listening to music particularly relaxing at this point, oh, unless so it's, unless it's, um, unless it's something where the technique is so not the point. Like I really like a lot of prog rock. Mm. <laughs> I, I guess I could see that. I know for a, there was a long while uh, in my wedding DJing career um, that I could only listen to Vitamin String Quartet after events because I just needed something different. And actually, to this day, if I'm working on something that doesn't need like 100% focus, I'm listening to talk radio and podcasts. And then if I and then if I need to focus on it, I'm listening to uh, mood music with no vocals. Um, just because I need to get away from the music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I won't even turn on anything. I'll have like, just if if I don't have to focus too much, then it is like talk radio, podcast, or I will admit, uh, Hoarders just came onto Netflix. All about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll throw something on that I've I've seen before on on my iPad and just have it over there. Just so I don't know. I just don't. I I'm not a silence person unless it's a natural silence. Like if I'm in the woods great but if i'm if i'm in my kitchen and it's perfectly silent something is wrong or my brain's gonna start thinking things and um you know i only want to bother my therapist during her regular hours so um you know i'll let the music work that's fair you know i think i found uh living in new york for 10 years and like either you know when you're on the subway every day your options are put your put your earbuds in or someone crazy is going to talk to you after doing that for so long being in new hampshire back in new hampshire for like three years now 
I'm I'm like enjoying the silence. <laughs> I'm okay with it a lot of the time. I also have like dogs running around my house and my cat's trying to get on my lap half the time and then my kid starts crying. So it's not exactly silence. <laughs> right. And, and those are all things that you would be more concerned if they were silent. Right. Usually exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> Let's kind of dive back into, we talked a little bit about uh, balancing your onstage life with your offstage life, specifically when you're playing a challenging role um, that might have a lot of um, emotional baggage with the role. Um, how does your, how do you work with a performer on something like that? Um, and like what specifically are things that you might uh, discuss with a performer or recommend when you're playing a heavier role? Do you mean as far as, vocalism is concerned or or emotional i think we could i think we could touch both both from like saying like you know i'm playing say i'm playing um i'll go back to next to normal actress playing diana has both things she's blowing out her voice every night but then she also has to you know live all the ptsd type moments and um you know avoiding taking that um home every night okay so let me voice first um I don't think the job of a singer is to be 100% technically correct every time they open their mouth. I think in a voice lesson, that's what we work to so that when you get on stage, when you're, when you're actually on stage and when you're in those really vulnerable and really emotional moments, you can trust that your instrument is going to do what it needs to do and you just then need to know when you have to tune in to mm. your technique. So if you um, if you have to hit a note that you know is particularly high and it's on a terrible vowel, and you know that you need to shape that vowel very specifically and make sure that your placement is super on point in order for that note to be just bomb, you need to tune in there. That's but but like that's one note over the course of hundreds in a song right um and for the most part the rest of the time ideally you've worked your voice and your overall performance to the point where everything just sits right at the front right on the edge ready and able to just come out that's the goal um thus meaning you can stay in those emotional moments a little a little more safely vocally um, as far as letting go of performances, what I see more than specific performances a lot of the time um, is, is general typing, like letting go of, of who, you, who you assume you will be playing on stage, hmm. letting go of that kind of emotional life. For example, right now I play moms all the time. <laughs> I just that's when I was younger when I was younger this is a weird thing but I was always the prostitute or the whore <laughs> or like or, I, I feel your pain yeah right? I, right? If, I know if I was um, anything but an idiot or an asshole the director did their job wrong <laughs> exactly exactly like so so think about think about like being a young well maybe you don't can't quite empathize with this our listeners will be able a, to <laughs> being a young 16 17 18 year old girl constantly being cast as the prostitute doesn't uh do 
wonderful things for your self-esteem a lot of the time. And then being a an only 33-year-old woman constantly being cast against 45, 55, up to almost 60-year-old men because I'm also tall and look a, a little older, also not great for your confidence. And so I think a lot of it, even if these are great roles you're playing, because a lot of the time they are, there's some really good roles within whore and mother. <laughs> um, uh, a, a lot of it is knowing, having built up enough of a life outside of theater, enough of a rich emotional life outside of theater to know that you have something awesome to go back to. Where this, like, to, and that's that's where it becomes about that balance piece. It's you, all of your self-worth and all of your praise can't be coming from the stage. It has to be coming from something internal, from something that you know you do. Maybe you have, like, a really excellent day job that you love and you have, like, a lot of close friends. Even if you're not in a relationship or having a family, you have you have actively built up these other things in your life. And it is active. Like you can't be, you can't passively wait and hope for that to come. Though I think that's a very important tip for anybody in any profession, you know, or any type of life. You gotta, you gotta balance it and have more than one thing and not let any one aspect of your life be your defining thing, which I think is definitely something us artist types struggle with. I know I, I personally, you know, struggle to say I'm anything I'm like oh I'm a theater artist anything else I do is just my job and but like I'm just so defined by what I do and I, I'm envious of performers that can say that my performing is my job I'm a person hello Q0 fans Q0 business advisor and performer Jake Ranlett here, interrupting your regularly scheduled podcast to talk about Q0 sponsorship and membership. As I'm sure you know, theater is really expensive, and we cannot survive on ticket sales alone, which is why we have these two awesome programs that not only allow Q0 to continue to revolutionize the performing arts scene in New Hampshire, but has incredible benefits for you as well. Sponsors get their name and logo in our playbill, on our posters, mentioned in our podcasts, listed on our press releases, and so much more. We go out of our way to make sure everyone knows about you and thanks you for helping make Q0 possible. We also have our membership program for individuals who want a little bit more bang for their buck and a lot more Q0 in their lives. We have 10 different levels of membership, starting as low as $2 a month. Every level of membership comes with awesome perks, such as early access to the Q0 Theater cast, discounts on tickets and merchandise, exclusive behind-the-scenes video content, the ability to read our New Works blog, and so much more. The more you give, the more you get. If you want to be a vital part of the Q0 revolution, Head on over to cztheater.com and click the Support CZT link to become a sponsor or a member today. And now, back to the podcast. (laughs) 
we're going to do a little role-playing exercise where I want you to imagine you've just been made... Uh, you can either say you're the queen or the goddess of the performance industry. And you can make any change that you would like to make to the industry as a whole or whatnot uh, to improve either vocal health or mental health or physical well-being. Like, what sort of changes would you mandate um, is it, you know, cutting back, not doing either, you know, eight shows a week or two show days? Like what sort of changes would you make if you could just snap your fingers that you think would make all of our performers uh, lives better? Okay. <laughs> so I think this is all I think this kind of encompasses all of the changes that I would make in Germany. The arts are subsidized. Or in a lot of a lot of European com- uh, countries, the arts are actually subsidized. So it is a career that you go into where you can plan for a paycheck in some capacity, right? Um, and so what came to mind immediately is either something like that or some version of everybody becoming equity, but also improving the equity system. <laughs> yeah, the underlying point being pay your actors <laughs> and and pay your actors a living, a living wage pay your directors a living wage pay your today's managers a living wage like the way that this and and that's a big ask because you said i could be a goddess so <laughs> so that's a big ask i'm aware um but the reason being if i as a performer had to go to rehearsals probably slightly later in the day, starting at like 11 or noon and then perform every night. That's not so bad. That's not so bad. And if I can do that and uh, maybe if I have a partner who also has a job and we can actually feed our family and we can actually have a house and a mortgage because we make enough money to pay for something like that. That's awesome. And there are performers who do that. Um, But in this in, in this country, the people who make that money, it's not like they've done zero work to get there, but a lot of what this is about is connections and networking. And if you suck at those things, if that's just not a natural talent of yours, you don't necessarily get all that far. Like yeah. it's harder. It's much right. harder to get anywhere. Um, whereas if it was treated as an actual profession, with an actual living wage, A, I think there there would be there would be more equity among people. And I don't use equity in the, you know, the Hector's equity terms, but right, like right, 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 right. equality among the people in the business. Um, and I think it would be a less I think it would actually kind of start to become a less sexy business to get into because fame wouldn't be equated in the same way. Does that make sense? Yeah, I can definitely see that. And then, um, on, so that's like a macro view. What about like on a micro view? Like if you were just going to give um, like the most or like what's the most like common piece of advice or things you'd like to see performers on a personal level do differently than we normally do? Learn how to say no without being a diva about it. Hmm. Like learn to pick your battles. Yeah. And to have to have some battles. Right. But to pick them also, because not everything, just because, just because you don't like how a director is doing something doesn't mean it should be a no. Like you signed up for this project with this director. Um, if you don't agree with their vision, 
don't become a diva about it. If they're asking you to do something straight up unsafe, yeah, say no. If they're asking you to uh, stay at rehearsal until all hours of the night when you have a nine to five the next day, say no. Because mm. if everyone does it, then the system changes a little bit. Yeah, no, I wholeheartedly agree. I think that's some great advice to our performers, not just the budding ones, but even the ones that have been probably been doing this for a while have forgotten that they're allowed to say no. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to. I <laughs> I did a show not all that long ago where I was this close to just straight up walking out. And it was because the director was just, he was, he, he's a genius. He was doing great stuff on stage, but the way that he treated his actors was just terrible. And like, I don't care how good this show is going to do if you're a jackass. <laughs> like, I just, it, my, my own personal well-being is not wrapped up in this. I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that that's starting to be a thing of the past. At least, you know, I, I hear, at least on like a big giant professional level, I hear less stories about those types of directors. You know, um, as much as I love my, my Bob Fosse, um, I haven't heard too many actors be quite abused, like the way that he psychologically (laughs) could, uh, tear somebody apart or keep you at a rehearsal for eight hours, just doing, uh, six counts of choreography because it wasn't in sync. The, the like people, that. the people that I run into every, and I, and it isn't, it isn't super often. I will say the only times that it has been are definitely people who are of, who are of the, the, the older generation who are used to the way things used to be. Mm. Um, and that being said, there is lovely people in that generation too, that I would happily work with again. So mm. It's yeah. just finding and that that's, balance. Uh, what Q Zero is all about, which is you know bringing up the next generation and tr- taking uh, risks on things, but also learning from the past and getting to uh, you know meld those experiences into better uh, theater, both on and off stage. Um, so I guess I've got like two. I, I think it's two final questions. So kind of just going back to you. Uh, specifically, if, you know, say somebody's listening to this and they've kind of enjoyed hearing a little bit about your profession as a lifestyle coach and as a voice teacher, um, how would they go about, you know, getting into the field? As far as training is concerned, the, when I was becoming, when I was training to be a voice teacher, when I was training to be a health coach, there were significantly fewer programs than there are now. Now there's like master's degrees to become a health coach as opposed to a dietitian or a nutritionist. Um, so a lot of those programs exist. If you do, I really like the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. I know a lot of other people who have liked their programs. Um, do a basic Google search and go talk to the people who went to those programs. Go like do, do that research. Um, as far as becoming a voice teacher, again, love my performers who just choose to teach, but I think it's incredibly important to actually get trained to teach. And a lot of, um, there's a lot more schools now who, They'll offer a bachelor's degree in vocal performance, either classical or musical theater, and then you can go on and get a master's in in vocal pedagogy. So I would I would suggest going that route definitely. There are also there's other uh, methods out there though that if you if it really speaks to you, like I'm thinking like a, a somatic voice. Uh, Janine, I want to say her name is Janine Levetri. 
is, is one that I know multiple teachers who do not have degrees. They've gone to this specific training program that is a good quality training program. It's not exactly how I teach, but it's good. Um, so there are, you, you have to do your research about that. As far as starting your own business, that's like a whole other can of worms. Yeah, maybe we'll <laughs> save that for a, a whole separate show on just well, yeah, starting starting some sort of actual like company in the arts. Yeah. What I would say, and, and I think this is this is where people fail a lot, you have to start calling yourself the thing that you say you're doing. Hmm. So be willing to say, Hi, I'm Katie. I am a voice teacher, as opposed to Hi, I'm Katie. I wait tables. Also, sometimes I teach voice. Yeah, I had the same thing where I think for a while I was like, oh, yeah, we're pretend, you know, I I pretend to have a theater company that runs out of my garage. And now I introduce. Now, hi, I'm the artistic director of Q0 Theater Company. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, you can because we all we all carry tons of different labels. Hi, I'm Katie. I'm a mother of a three year old. Hi, I'm Katie. <laughs> I'm a voice teacher. Hi, I'm Katie. I uh, wear leggings every day. I don't know. Like, <laughs> um. We, we have a billion labels, make that one of your labels and use it consistently because then people start to actually create a brand awareness for you. Uh, I think that's fantastic advice. Um, now, Katie, if someone wanted to learn more about your services specifically or become like a student of yours, what would be the best way for them to go about doing that? So you can find me. Um, so my website is www.keepingitrealkatie.com. That's all K's and an IE at the end of Katie. Um and my Instagram handle, where you should totally follow me, is at Keeping It Real Katie. Um, where I like, there's tips, there's bits of blog posts, there's all sorts of good stuff there. Um, and then Katie Gall dash Keeping It Real, I think, is what I am on Facebook. <laughs> um, so all of those ways, I check the messages, and there's a contact me button on my website, and all that stuff. Excellent. Yeah, well, I've got your bio that you sent me. I'll put all of this in the episode description so people will have that all um, in in one nice organized place. Is there anything you feel that uh, you you know wanted to chat about that I might have missed, or something you really just feel needs to be said? I'm I'm all about collaboration over competition, and so I think you know you know you asked your 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 wand waving. Yeah. Slash goddess question earlier. Um, and apparently, I really want to be a goddess. That's <laughs> what I'm learning right now. Um, and I think um, if if we all focus on collaborating a little bit more, knowing where what what our specific roles are certainly, but being willing to let there be less of a hierarchy, being willing to work together a little bit more, being willing as like separate potentially potentially competing theater companies work together a little bit more i think that you know uh, i i've tried to use this phrase two other times today and i never get it right the thing where the the tide raises all boats high tide raises all boats yeah something something like that that. yeah yeah i I, I usually say everybody pulls their weight everybody has a good time type thing and you know we're all moving towards the the same goal of giving audiences great shows yeah yeah and that also means that it's easier for actors to move between companies so they get to be a part of a bunch of different projects you know um so yes 
collaboration over competition. Well, uh, Katie, thank you so much for this. Uh, as I said during the interview, um, you know, we've got a number of different topics that on our itinerary that I think you'd be a great person to weigh in on. So hopefully we'll be having you again on here and uh, and it won't be too far into the distant future. Yeah, I would love to do that. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that was quite possibly one of my favorite interviews that we've done. Thank you, Katie, so much again for all of your wonderful insight. And I can't wait to have you on the podcast again. So as I'm sure you all have heard or seen, we had to unfortunately cancel slash postpone most of our ongoing endeavors. Um, So Hamlet is TBD. The world record attempt will be moved to the summer of 2021. And hopefully we'll still be able to be putting up heathers in the fall, but uh, that will be something we will uh, you know, keep everybody posted on. In the interim, though, do stay tuned to Q0's social media pages as we will be producing a plethora of online digestible from home content. Um, I'm trying to find some you know, things that might be a little different than what some of the other groups are doing, trying to, um, you know, I'm not trying to say because i don't think a zoomed performance is theater or a good stand-in but we still want to be creating content that brings you entertainment uh during these times we are also hoping to start offering online workshops and lecture series and things like that as well as trying to increase our podcast output so be on the lookout for all of that um and you know if you've got a little uh you know extra time or whatnot maybe join our membership program for a little bit subscribe to the patreon help q0 plan for the future we have not been hurt financially as much as you know maybe some other groups but we do have some expenses that uh you know we were counting on some income from ads and ticket sales that (laughs) are not coming now um and you know maybe you want to advertise on the podcast so if you're like hey dan i really like what you're doing and uh you know maybe we can work something out so shoot me an email cztheater at gmail.com and i'd love to you know make some ads that aren't just me plugging our podcast service as well as our membership program again though if you do have some expendable income uh during these crazy times do seek out your favorite arts organization and you know make a donation so that when all this is over and we can start having public gatherings again you have arts organizations and theatrical productions that you'll be able to see because, um, you know, a lot of them are having trouble riding out this storm and we want to make sure that there's going to be a thriving arts community for when all this is done. So please, 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 you know, make a donation today to a number of the theater companies in in the area, uh, wherever you're listening to this, whether you're local to New Hampshire or you're as far away as California or England or Europe, Asia, Africa, or maybe you have a a penguin-based Antarctica uh, theater company that you really love. So just, you know, maybe throw them some money. I'm sure they're suffering too. With all that being said, thank you guys so much for listening. This is your host, Artistic Director Dan Pelletier, and as we always say at Q Zero, support local theater and join the revolution. <laughs> <laughs>